are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So if you had been at the crucifixion or at the tomb early on that Easter morning, would you have been afraid? There's fear all over Matthew's resurrection account in Matthew 28. We heard the story a little bit earlier. The women went to see the tomb, we're told. Then there's an earthquake. Then an angel appears out of nowhere rolling the stone away. Something strange was going on, which might make people afraid. The women were. The Roman guards who were at the tomb were even afraid. The mighty Roman guards, the text rather ironically says they were like dead men. They were so afraid. Then the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then they encounter Jesus, the resurrected one, and he says the same thing. Don't be afraid. Their fear is understandable. After all, Jesus was dead. It was obvious he was dead. They saw him on the cross. They helped get him in the tomb. He was crucified, a brutal and visible form of death that the Roman Empire used to suppress dissidents to make it very clear that speaking up against the empire would get you in pain and death. And Jesus died in that way, very visibly, very painful. When he started talking about God's kingdom instead of Herod's kingdom, that pretty much signed his death warrant. So the first followers of Jesus were understandably afraid, even before the events of Holy Week. They knew that in some way Jesus was standing against the empire. The empire began flexing its muscle. Then with the unusual events at the tomb, it's even more understandable that the women were very afraid. Don't be afraid, says the angel. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. That message actually runs throughout Scripture. We see it throughout the Bible, and it's rather ironic, you might even say, given the realities of human life that are reflected in Scripture. You read the Bible, you see violence and murder, chaos, greed, adultery, all sorts of crazy things going on, pain, suffering. And the biblical message over and over again says, don't be afraid. We need to be clear, the biblical message does not say there is nothing to be afraid of. There's a big difference. The biblical writers seem to acknowledge that there are things to be afraid of, but in the face of that, they're saying, don't be afraid. Don't make that choice to be afraid. Find a way to live with courage and hope. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us a little bit of help with that because lots of times when the text says, don't be afraid, it's accompanied by a promise. A promise that God is with us. In the book of Joshua, 
Young Joshua is called to be a military leader, and he's probably terrified, the young man given this huge responsibility. And God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I knew somebody who um, had a spouse, a husband who was a veteran of World War II, and he saw all the horrors of that war. And he had a little dog tag along with his official dog tag that had this verse on it. And he read that every day like his prayer to remember through the horrors of war that God was with him. Psalm 23, best known chapter in the Bible probably, right in the middle of that, the valley of the shadow of death, the the, the scary places. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There it is again. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Isaiah chapter 43, wonderful chapter for people who are in exile, people who are in suffering in ways that we could only imagine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, for I am the Lord your God, Holy One, your Savior. There it is again. Don't be afraid. God is with us. It even comes up in Matthew chapter 28, the chapter that you heard Sarah read earlier this morning, the first 10 verses. Well, at the end of this chapter... Jesus is speaking to the disciples. This is known as the Great Commission. These are the last words Jesus speaks according to Matthew's gospel. And he says, go, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and remember, I am with you always. Boom, end of the story. End of the book, anyway, not the end of the story. The promise repeats itself. God is with us. Some of you might be understandably wondering, well, what does that look like? How do we know God is with us? Where do we see God? I think we see God in a lot of places, especially in the people in our lives. I think God shows up in the people in our lives, like the people who sit with us in the hospital waiting room, the people who bring us food after a loved one has died or when we're going through a really hard time the people who actually respond to the late-night texts and phone calls, the people who take the time to sit and listen and close their mouths and be a caring presence, to weep with those who weep, to laugh with those who laugh, to rejoice with those who rejoice, the people who go with us to protest rallies, to try to make the world a better place, to cry out together against injustice. And maybe God even shows up in the people who invite us to come to church on Easter Sunday morning. We need each other to experience God. I think it's really hard to be a Christian in isolation. So we come together. We journey together. Fear is all around us, so we need to stick together and hold hands, as it were. We see that fear everywhere we look. Just look at the news, right? Newspapers, print media, TV, the internet. It's all filled with bad news. And it's kind of funny how we, we, like, to, we like to criticize the media and say, oh, they just print all that bad news. Well, you know whose fault that is? It's not their fault. <laughs> it's ours. Because we're the ones who are buying the newspapers with the big bloody headlines. We're the ones who are 
buying the magazines with all the bad news. We're the ones who are watching the shows with all the gore and corruption and violence and refreshing our web browsers to get the latest bad news that's out there. I've talked to multiple media people, and they say, everybody complains about all the bad news. We try. We try to put the good news out there. But nobody reads it. Nobody clicks on those links of the good news. It's almost like we're addicted to the bad news, almost like we want to be afraid. You know how side view mirrors in cars, they have that little warning on them that says, objects may be closer than they seem. Well, that's good for a side view mirror in a car because you want to be careful, you want to be cautious, but it's not a good strategy for life. <laughs> and it seems like that's what we're doing with our, our media consumption, the way we look at the news and the way we live our lives. We, we want to inflate everything and make it bigger and scarier than it really is. Yes, there are legitimate and abundant reasons to be cautious in the world, to be even afraid sometimes. We have to be smart. We have to be careful. Fear of genuine danger can save our lives. But somewhere there's a balance, and I think we've lost that balance and just let fear take over. A pastor named Adam Hamilton wrote a book several years ago called Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. The book actually came out about a year before that COVID thing. You remember that? <laughs> the book was a lifeline for a lot of people during that horrible, the worst of that horrible time. Well, in the book, he writes, real fear is a gift that has the power to save our lives. Unfortunately, much of our fear is manufactured. Our worries are about things that are likely never going to happen, things that are, or things that are completely outside of our control. This fear, anxiety, or worry is not a gift. It brings harm instead. And then he goes on to say, we can unlearn fear. And in unlearning fear, we find freedom. So maybe a question for us to ponder today is, how do we unlearn fear? How do we roll that back a little bit? In the spirit of Easter new possibilities, resurrection, new perspective. I want to offer three suggestions for you to think about fear in the world, what we might be afraid of, and how we can think about things in a new way. First off, thinking about the words, do not be afraid. I want to suggest three things that we might be afraid of and maybe worth considering. Do not be afraid of death. Jesus was dead, very dead, and then he was alive. His resurrection, even if you just see it symbolically, proclaims that somehow, some way, death is not the last word and that God's love continues past our physical bodies. Many of you were here during the season of Lent as we went through a sermon series called In Life and Death We Belong to God, making that affirmation over and over and over again as we reflected on issues of life and death and encouraged everyone to acknowledge the reality that one day, as wonderful as we all are, our physical bodies are going to give out and we're all going to die. We encouraged honest and heartfelt conversations about a variety of topics. And during that series, Clara Thompson, sitting right here in the first pew, preached a wonderful sermon. It's available on the webpage if you didn't catch it. And she talked about the reality of death. And in her sermon, she said, I don't have a clue what happens after we die. I don't know if we see loved ones or not. I don't know how old we are in heaven. 
I don't know if it's a black and white world or a technicolor world. But what I do believe with all my heart is that the same God who loves me and takes care of me now will love me and take care of me after I die. I believe to my very core that in life and in death we belong to God and that nothing, absolutely nothing, can take that away from us. We're encouraged to not be afraid of death. We live our lives as best we can. And when the time comes that our physical bodies no longer work, we trust in God's abundant love and the promise of eternal peace, eternal rest. So don't be afraid of death. The second one I want to invite you to not be afraid of is change. Don't be afraid of change. Now, I've been here 10 years, and I know this congregation. A lot of good Midwestern Presbyterian people. And I'm guessing at least 50% of the people in here are more afraid of change than they are of death. <laughs> right? We don't like change. We don't like things to change at all. But the reality is, in our faith tradition, change is a vital part of who we are. Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming this new kingdom of God, this new realm of God, and he invited people to follow him by asking them to change. The word we usually hear is repent, kind of a churchy word, but really that word in the original language means to change, to change one's mind or to change one's direction. Jesus called people and invited them to change, to think in new ways, to go in new ways, to live in new ways, to change what needed to be changed in their lives. We're part of the Reformed branch of the Christian church, and one of our slogans of the Reformed branch is that we're a church reformed, always reforming according to the word of God. That process of change and reformation continues day after day, week after week, year after year. We need to keep listening, learning, and growing. One big way we have changed over the years is in how we look at people. How we look at people around us, how we understand each other. A lot of bias, exclusion, hatred, and violence has happened because of the way we look at others. Let's think about it. There was a time when the vast majority of white people in this country, white Christians in this country, were convinced that slavery was God's will because it's in the Bible. We learned. We changed. We're still changing, learning. There was a time when the vast majority of people in this country, including elected leaders, thought that women weren't smart enough to vote or that they just shouldn't vote. We learned. We changed. There was a time when we thought that gay and lesbian people were making a choice for a lifestyle. We've learned. And we've changed. And right now, in our culture, a lot of people, myself included, are changing and thinking in new ways about transgender and non-binary people. Recognizing that they are beloved children of God just like anybody else. Change takes time. Change is hard work. So I have a couple of little invitations for you to flex your change muscles this week and consider little ways that you might think about changing. Maybe change your eating routine a little bit. Try eating a little different food. Maybe going to a 
different restaurant or a restaurant in a different part of town sometime or trying food that somebody else in your family likes that you've never had before. Or maybe try changing your sources, where you get your information and inspiration. Maybe watch a different news channel for a little while or click on some different news channels on your phone. Maybe watch a different movie, different style of movie you've never seen before. Read a different book. Ask a friend for a recommendation, a little outside your comfort zone, maybe. Or maybe most challenging of all, next time you come to church, try changing where you sit in the sanctuary. <laughs> At the first service, as soon as I said that, I saw three people immediately go like this. I only, I only saw one just now doing that, so... You know, just take a deep breath. It, it, it can be done. I know it's kind of hypocritical because I kind of sit in the same place every week. But... <laughs> so, in all seriousness, I think trying to change little things strengthens our change muscles so that when big changes come across our radar, we're able to at least consider them and be open and not be afraid of change. So, don't be afraid of death, don't be afraid of change. And then, don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid of God. Sadly, many people are afraid of God. People have had bad experiences in churches, and I'm sorry about that. People have bad experiences with the way God has been understood through the years, and I'm sorry about that. There's a wonderful book out called um, Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived by a guy named Rob Bell, a pastor who actually got kicked out of a church because he wrote books like this. And he wrote in that book, a staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spends forever in torment and punishment. He continues, this is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. Love wins. Love wins. Don't be afraid of God. Over and over in Scripture, we hear the message, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love abounding in steadfast love. Sure, God gets unhappy when we screw up and when we do bad things, but the bottom line for God is love and mercy and forgiveness. Steadfast love. But this mindset of fearing God runs pretty deep in our culture, and some of it might have to do with misinterpreting a biblical verse. There's a, several times in the Bible we read, fear God, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. This young man is named Jordan Hawkins, he is a sophomore on the University of Connecticut men's basketball team, the team that just won the national championship. I happen to be from Connecticut. I've been cheering for UConn forever, and I did pick them to win it all, but that has nothing to do with the sermon today whatsoever. But on Mr. Hawkins' arm, he's got, a tat he's got a lot of tattoos. One of his tattoos, can you read that? Can you read what that says? Fear God. Great big letters on his arm. It says, fear God. And there's a big cross on the other side of his forearm. It's very hard to get a good picture of him because he moves so fast on the court. I'd really like to ask him about what that tattoo means to him. I wonder if he is seriously afraid of God or if he understands it in, I think, the appropriate way 
the biblical way of fearing God, of having a sense of awe and humility and respect and reverence for God. Not some sort of terror that God's going to arbitrarily punish and, and hurt people. Fearing God in the biblical sense is about awe and reverence and respect, kind of like, analogies don't always work, but kind of like a parent-child relationship, right? Remember, God is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. Don't be afraid of death, of change, of God. At the end of the service today, we're going to sing a wonderful Easter hymn. It's called, Christ is Risen, Shout Hosanna. And in the final verse, we're acknowledging the reality that there is suffering and hardship and misery in the world with the, world, the word pain that's in the hymn. And in response to the pain, we will sing, tell its grim demonic chorus, Christ is risen, get you gone. God the first and last is with us. Sing Hosanna, everyone. Just because it's Easter, it doesn't mean all the pain and sadness goes away. I look around the sanctuary, I know there are people here who are hurting, who are, who are really struggling with things right now. Easter doesn't make all the pain go away. It doesn't make all the fear go away. There are a lot of reasons why we might be afraid in the world, things that are happening in the world, things that are happening in our lives. But together, with resurrection power, and as we remember that God promises to be with us this day and every day, we can live with courage and hope and love. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Amen.